Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Apart from the summer of 1904, sailing has played its part in every Olympic Games. And as the patriotic song goes, Britannia really does rule the waves. Great Britain leads the overall medals table with 28 golds, nine ahead of its nearest challenger, the USA, winning a further two in Rio four years ago. But what's the future for this historic Olympic event, with Paris 2024 looking for more windsurfing and kiteboarding categories? And can the team already picked for Tokyo 2020 this summer maintain its high standards? I'm Michael. And I'm John. And on this edition of Anything But Footy's Great British Bosses, where we focus on the leading figures behind the scenes of our Olympic and Paralympic sports, we're in Southampton to meet the man who'll be leading the charge. And my name's Ian Walker. I'm the performance director for the British sailing team. Ian, firstly, thank you for having us to Southampton. Um, We're in Olympic year. There's that little tingle, isn't there, inside you? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's, uh, you know, every four years it comes around. And for a sport like sailing, you've got to understand it's our one chance for us to be sort of at the same level as the 100 metres or, you know, the sort of famous sports that you'll see every year on the television. You know, this is the chance to be on the same on the same footing. So for us, it matters so much. And, and the athletes have, have put in probably... Well, definitely four years, but more likely 12 years in order to get to this point. So it's a huge moment and, and our job is to try and give them the best chance of winning it we can. I'm looking forward to talking to you about the team because some of it's already been named and, and the future of, of sailing in the Olympics. But I want to talk a little bit about you to start with. How do you become the performance director, having obviously been highly successful as a sailor? And then why sailing originally? So tell us a, a little bit about you. Okay, well, I learned to sail when I was eight. Uh, my parents didn't sail. I grew up in Seven Oaks in Kent near a little gravel pit. Uh, and there was a sailing club there called Chipstead Sailing Club. Um, but I think my passion, apparently, according to my parents, started before that. 
uh, when we lived in Paris and we used to rent a model boat on a pond in the middle of Paris. So you never know where the spark for sport and passion is going to come from. I really wanted to be a West Ham uh, player, but I wasn't fast enough, although um, in recent times maybe I'd have got in their team. But, uh, you know, I was a left footer, played on the left wing, was never going to make it as a professional footballer, fell in love with sailing, uh, happened to go sailing when I got back to England, sailed at Chipstead Sailing Club. Somewhere along the line, I probably won a little prize that I took to school and I decided that was the sport for me. And, you know, one of the reasons I love sailing was I thought to myself that there's no reason I couldn't be the best at this. I, you know, I, I, it, was, it was not just a physical game, but it was a mental game. And I could see that the more I did it, the better I was getting at it. And I just, I, I guess I had, I won something early on. I had that passion and, and I just, from then on, I wanted to sail in the Olympics. I wanted to sail around the world. So from that, how do you then become a two-time Olympian and, and two-time Olympic medalist? Well, there's always a little bit of luck involved. As to, you know, there's, there's sort of forks in the road. And uh, I mean, I think initially it was commitment. Uh, certainly all through my teenaging years, I was obsessed with sailing. My, my bedroom rules were covered in pictures that I cut out of Did magazines you have a hero? of boats. Um, there were, you know, Peter Blake at times. So Peter Blake, who was a, a America's Cup, famous America's Cup sailor from from New Zealand, and Laurie Smith was the big name in in British yachting at the time. So, uh, and I remember when I was nineteen, I went to watch the start of the round the world race. Um, but there's small things, you know, how make big impressions on you. I I was sailing at a club called Weirwood Sailing Club. It was the middle of winter. It was freezing cold, 1981. I remember it vividly. And I was setting this little mirror dinghy and we were coming in because it was so windy and I was cold. I was in floods of tears. So I was frozen cold. And this boat went past in a ball of spray. And I was like, who's that? Who's that? And somebody said, oh, that's a 470. Uh, and they're training for the Olympics. And I was like, wow, I want to be able to do that one day. And, and that's a reminder of how important it is for our Olympic sailors and other sportsmen to be out in the community meeting people and, and, and giving that inspiration because I was inspired by somebody in a 470 and I just worked away at it, I, you know, one step at a time. And in the end, I, I sailed with this fantastically talented sailor called Johnny Merricks, who, um, who he and I were first and second in the youth nationals. We teamed up together and then we became you know, an almost unbeatable pairing in, in the Olympics back in the uh, early 90s. Yeah, so a, a silver in, or two silvers, uh, the 470 in 96, and then the star in, in 2000. And was that the heyday of, of British sailing in some ways? I don't, I, I'm not sure I'd use the word heyday. I mean, everything has to be put in the context of the National Lottery and UK sports um, support of of elite sports in this country. And, and that, that the advent of that was, uh, well, 97, John Major made the decision after the terrible performance of the British team in 96. Uh, did you guys, as a member of that team, did you feel that it was a, a, a poorer performance? Well, we did all right. You yeah. know, we, we got a silver medal and Ben Ainsley got a silver medal. So I think, my, I think there was one gold medal, Steve Redgrave and Matt Pinson, and I think eight silver and six bronze. And of course, two of the silvers were sailing and we were removed from the Olympic Village. So we were just in our own little bubble, actually doing pretty well as a nation. Uh, uh, but of course, there was the general malaise. And in the British press, they tore the team apart. We were, we were insulated from that. But of course, winning those two silver medals for sailing was just the right time because then the funding system came in and that rewarded sports who could deliver medal-winning success, and we were we were right at the front of the queue for that because of those performances, and 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 then we really went on a, on a on a roll. And I mean, Sydney for me probably was the pinnacle. I have to. I wasn't involved for a few years after that, uh, but three golds and two silvers 
on the steps of the Opera House in Australia, our, our, one of our main rivals, Backyard, was was an absolute was an absolute highlight. I mean, I think the team won six medals uh, in Beijing after then, but uh, to get the three golds, especially in Sydney Harbour, was was extraordinary. And then you became a coach, and you led the the, the famous three blondes in a boat in Athens. Uh, yeah, I mean, how long have you got? Uh, I. Um, I I went off. It was starting to have to do some professional sailing to pay for my sailing, um, and I did the America's Cup skipper, the British America's Cup team. When I when I finished with that, I, I didn't come back to the Star because, well, to be quite honest, Ian Percy uh, and Bart were world champions. So why would I take them on? I knew I, I knew my limits. Uh, so we had a British boat who was world championship. I only had a year to repair, and so. Um, I, I decided to try and do the next best thing, which was to help somebody else. And so, yeah, I mean, the three blondes in the boats, as they were coined by the Daily Mail, but, you know, they were three extraordinary female athletes in Shirley and the two Sarahs, and uh, so so dominant that they won uh, with two races to spare in Athens. And uh, that was a totally different experience for me being a coach, much more like being a parent, you know, when you the, you can't actually affect the result once you've sort of said your goodbyes and it's all worry and angst. But uh, I needn't have worried about a thing. They they delivered with a plum. And then becoming now, as you say, director of racing from, from 2017. I mean, when you were an eight-year-old child, did you ever think my whole career is going to be yachting? My whole career is going to be sports administration. Uh, no, I, I mean, I guess you've missed 12 years in the middle there where I sailed around the world three times. I, I skipped three boats around the world. And again, I never meant to do that. I, I wanted to sail around the world, but I never thought I'd have it in me to sail at that high level and uh, in, you know, in Grand Prix boats around the world. I kind of fell into it by accident as a business deal, ironically. But, um, you know, that was a tremendous life-changing experience for me. Uh, but it also really gave me the experience of leading a larger group of people uh, and working with commercial sponsors and being part of something much bigger uh, than just, you know, myself in my boat or coaching one team in the Olympics. So I, so I guess all of that, you know, I, I should say I went to university as well. So I had an, a, an education behind me, uh, although I did spend most of my time sailing at university. But I guess all of that together, all of those life experiences and sporting experiences, uh, you know, made me a candidate for this role. And and um, there's all sorts of skills I didn't have and I'm, ones I'm still learning day to day. Um, but fortunately, um, you know, here I am. I'm still involved in the sport I love. As you can tell, I hope uh, you can tell I'm really passionate about it. And, and as you say, this is a huge year for us. I think you, you quoted in 2017 as saying you'd miss the thrill of the competition. Have you gained it elsewhere? Yeah, you know, the strange thing is I, I've, not missed, I've not missed the pressure of, of being a full-time sportsman and the need to deliver for yourself, for your, for your parents, for your sponsors, for your teammates, you know, that, and it's grinding. And I, I did it for 25 years, uh, sailing professionally. It's a, it's, it's a tremendous privilege. Don't, don't get me wrong to do what you love as your living, but then it's not your hobby anymore. So I'm in a great situation now where I sell for fun. You know, I do. I sail on a Wednesday night in the summer. I sell, I'll be sailing on Sunday morning out of the local sailing club. And, um, and I have a lot of fun also sailing with my daughter. So I sail for fun, but at the same time, I'm completely at the at the cutting edge, having the opportunity to work with, with the best young sailors in the world who are, who are, to be quite frank, operating at a far higher level of performance than, than we were 20 years ago. One of the things we've learned doing the Great British Bosses series is that every governing body is, is slightly different. Um, so, say, British swimming, just look after the elite swimmers. They're nothing to do with the pools and, and, and getting people swimming. 
but my understanding with your role is you are in charge of those elite sailors, but you're also trying to get the next through the grassroots coming through as well. Um, yeah, I try not to use the word in charge. I guess responsible is maybe a better word. Um, um, and yeah, I wear two hats. I, I, I am both the performance director and, and ultimately responsible for the performance of the Olympic team and the pathway, uh, really answering not just to my board, but to UK sports uh, board. Uh, who provide the majority of the funding. Uh, but I'm also director of racing for pretty much every other type of sailboat racing in the UK and everything that sits behind it. So that could be the race officials, the measurers, the rules, uh, international relations, team racing, student racing, uh, a whole plethora of uh, things that that underpin our sport. And, and I'm just as passionate about that. Um, you know, if sailing is not healthy in our clubs, and we've got 1,300 clubs all around the country, if it's not healthy there, we won't have people coming in at the bottom to to fill our teams and 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 breed success of the future. So, you know, it's it's it, many sports having a really tough time at the moment, and you know, sailing is broadly stable at the moment, but it's declined a lot from the heyday in the sort of 70s and 80s when when I was a kid. And you know, we need healthy clubs, and and we need to get people out on the water enjoying everything that I fell in love with. Well, let's talk about the clubs for a minute because you said you go on a, on a Sunday. Have you guys noticed that, you know, as the world does change and people's lives change and social changes, um, that actually people want more of their weekends? They don't necessarily want to be on the water every weekend? Uh, there's, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a multitude of social, you know, changes that, 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 that are just a fact, you know, whether it's the rise of social media, whether it's, I mean, if you go back far enough, Sunday shopping had a big impact, uh, the role of the, the, the father in the family uh, the, uh, and, and, and the difference in, in the makeups of families and family life and what that looks like. You know, it, it, it was acceptable once for, you know, your dad to go off to cows and go yachting for the weekend. Well, it doesn't work like that anymore and, and, and nor should it. So, you know, as a sport and, and by the way, people are working harder, they're time uh, poor, uh, they maybe have less disposable income. Well, a portion of society has less disposable income, and a and a portion of society has a huge amount of disposable income. So, so the makeup of society has changed, uh, and and the, and the sport needs to try and respond to that. And fundamentally, we are a sport that takes quite a long time to do, and can be quite expensive. There are ways of it being more affordable, but the perception is very often, and the reality can be that it's very expensive. And that is a challenge, especially when you've got the competition of many more sports that people weren't doing 20, 30 years ago. Who had heard of kiteboarding? Uh, who'd heard of foiling, windsurfing? Uh, and that's just two within our domain, but there's plenty more. Stand-up paddleboarding, rock climbing, surfing, you know, the rise of pop concerts, you know, music, I can't call them. My daughter said I can't call them pop concerts. <laughs> music festivals. You know, all of that is a huge draw that maybe wasn't there to the same degree. And we We've got to compete with that, along with lots of other traditional sports, who many of whom are struggling. And are you concerned about the future of the clubs? Or are you, as you said earlier, feeling that you're pretty healthy? Uh, I'm concerned. Uh, I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't concerned. That doesn't mean I'm negative about it. I think that it means we have to respond. And, you know, we are just the governing body. But what we try to do is is make sure that the lessons learned in the clubs that are doing well are shared with the other clubs and, and trying to urge the clubs, you know, sh the importance of 
of responding to the changing dynamic of the market. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, like any business, any sport, you have to react to the environment around you. And, you know, and it feels like the world is changing at an increasingly rapid pace. And therefore, we can't sit still. It seems a bit of a silly question, but it's always one that I troubles me is, is it British Sailing or is it the Royal Yachting Association? Well, as a governing body, we are the Royal Yachting Association, um, and and there's many reasons why uh, it has stayed like that. It is such a strong brand, internationally recognised as the standard of, of for instance, training of of skippers or crew. Um, uh, you know, the quality uh, of that brand. It, it would be quite dangerous as an organisation to move away from that. Uh, but but of course, yachting is not what we consider most of us to do you know we you know the olympic sailing team it's dinghy sailing it's kiteboarding it's windsurfing it's uh, none of those people would say they're yachtsmen uh, you know, they might say they're sailors, they might say they're foilers, boarders, come what may. So really, it's about sailing. It's about being on the water. It's boating, if you like, in its widest sense. So, yeah, we as is the performance side, we call ourselves the British sailing team, which I think is akin with British swimming and British rowing and British canoeing. And it's interesting you say the brand in the world works, but probably in Britain, British sailing kind of does what it says on the tin. Yeah, that's probably the case. But if you were in Australia and you wanted to become a yacht skipper, you'd be aspiring to become an ROA Ocean Yacht Master um, because that's how uh, how strong the brand is, and that's a historical thing, and a, and it's a mark of it's a mark of quality. You're listening to Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, the podcast series where we meet the men and women in charge of sport in Great Britain. We're in Southampton talking to Ian Walker of British Sailing. I want to talk about the Olympics because. You know, we touched on it about, you know, your success and that success that we had in, in Sydney and, and, and Beijing. Rio, I mean, you, you, you started to take charge from 2017. Looking back on Rio, two golds, but three medals. Did British sailing underperform slightly? Well, I was working for the BBC at the time, uh, commentating. Uh, and, and as always with sailing, you... Um, you know, you are at the mercy of, of, of the wind, of what the competition decides to do. There's always surprises. There's always upsets. Um, with two goals, we were top of the medal table. Um, but I guess you know, as a team, we wouldn't be happy with three medals. You know, we we won five medals in Sydney. I think we won six in Beijing, five five in Weymouth, I think. Although just Ben, I think, was the sole goal, if I'm right. They'll shoot me if... Uh, uh, if I'm wrong, Sir Ben, I should say, Ben Ainsley. Um, so for sure, we're aiming higher than three medals. Having said that, what price do you put on gold? And, and winning those two gold medals is what made it special in Rio. And how then important is it that the two people who won the gold, um, admittedly Hannah has a, has a different partner, but they're coming back? Well, it's crucial for us as a team because, you know, they are, you know, they know what it takes they are looked up to by everybody else in the team. They they set the standards. Um, but it, just because they won gold in Rio doesn't mean they're going to win gold in Tokyo. Uh, it, it gets it does get hard as you as you get older. There's 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 new challenges that you have to confront. Whether it's it could be boredom with the training. It can be uh, it, the the desire to have other things in your life. So if you take Giles Scott as an example, you know he's making he's a full time sailor for the America's Cup team. So he's squeezing his Olympic sailing in and around effectively 
a full-time job. So he's got real challenges in terms of the time he can commit. And therefore, he's having to be a lot smarter as to how he goes about it. It's that, it's that you know, as you get older, you sort of get smarter and wiser and you can, you can maybe be a bit more efficient. Uh, but maybe the body gives up on you a little bit and, and you've got other draws on your time, be it family or work. Uh, Hannah's got the challenge of a new sailing partner, Ailey McIntyre, but they're world champions right now. They're in a, they're in a great space. I mean, they've I think they've medaled in pretty much every event they've done together. Uh, so yeah, we we expect great things from them. But um, like everybody else, they've still got to deliver it on the day. And just on Giles, before we move on for, to the other team members, um, he obviously finished fourth in the world championships and admitted he's got a lot of work to do. It was a bit of a wake up call. Yeah, and I I, I spoke to his coach. Uh, day before yesterday um, to catch up the, the the event was down under so I I, I wasn't there uh, I should say that 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 I have an Olympic manager who oversees all of the Olympic team so it's not like I'm in the boat park I'm out there watching all these guys day in day out you know, I, there's too many we've got 70 sailors in our program as well as the other side of my job that we've talked about um, I, it, it, Part of me is thinking maybe a fourth's a good result in the sense that it'll give him a little bit of a wake up, as you say. Um, he he knows himself. He's been balancing his time and his priorities. Uh, clearly, he's going to have to rebalance slightly. Uh, I th- it, the question is, has his standards dropped or have everybody else got better or is it a bit of both? And I suspect it's a bit of both. Um, there's no doubt over time that uh, all the competition, they catch up. Um, we had a huge advantage, I believe, in the early 2000s with the advent of the UK Sport and National Lottery funding. And I think we then set new standards that other people, you know, they're always catching up and it's really hard to find those marginal gains to keep moving ahead. Um, It's a bit more complicated than that, as always. Giles was testing a bit of equipment and trying to validate where he's at. So uh, I'm I'm not in any way concerned about his performance in Tokyo. And um, if he can come forth training, you know, maybe half as much as, as he'd ideally like, then uh, then he's in a good shape. Well, I was going to say, if he's, you know, a full-time athlete with the, the America's Cup, it shows the importance of the Olympics to the sailing community, as we talked about right at the start. That's right. You know, it, it, the Olympics is really... And, and short, I'd say short of... Bringing the America's Cup to Britain, which I think would be would be extraordinary for the sport and would be, you know, really front page of the newspapers type story. Short of that, um, the Olympics is the only chance you get in sailing to be on a par with the other sports. And that's, you know, it is the purest test of the sport uh, and, and the athlete. So that's why people keep coming back to it over and over. The rest of the team, for, and we say it's, you know, you're one of the first people to name the team for Tokyo. So we know that these people are, uh, are going. Um, it's a mixture of experience with people who won medals in London, maybe not at Rio, and then some real youngsters as well. Yeah, we've got, I mean, we've got some really exciting youngsters. I mean, a young Emma Wilson, who's qualified in the RSX, and, and she's been knocking on the door of medals all the whole of last year. I think she was um, sailing in the youth championship two years ago or certainly two years certainly two years from uh, 2019 ago so she you know really rapid progress we've seen that 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 be successful in that class before with um um and that's windsurfing that's yeah that's sorry windsurfing that's windsurfing so young female windsurfer yeah. sorry yeah I'm careful we're not slipping into jargon <laughs> so yeah she's 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 on one end of the spectrum um and I think that's what you want. I mean, I think even if you're trying to win the Premier League, don't you want a mixture of experience and youth? If you've got all the oldies, 
then you know who's going to do the running around. And, and if you've just got a lot of youngsters, who's going to know when to calm it down and make the right decision? So for me, overseeing the team, that's exactly what I'd like to see. I'd like to see people coming through, um, people who can then, you know, they've got their two or three Olympics ahead of them, um, but enough older, wiser heads to just sort of set the tone. Are you allowed to tell me what your target is? For the Games? Um, I don't know whether I'm, I guess I can tell you what I like, but I mean, I think um, we, my view, looking at the team we've got, I think we will go into the games with, with five teams who I would be really disappointed if they didn't medal. You know, they, I would say, go so far as to say that I'm expecting them certainly really capable of delivering a medal winning performance. And I think the other five teams are also very capable of doing so. So, you know, I, I, I would be. I think five medals would be a would be a really good performance. I think we're capable of more, but we could easily win less. You know, it's it's on the day. Much will depend on the conditions. I think our team is stronger in windier conditions than light winds. So, give give us ten days of very light winds, and I'll be I'll be happy with whatever we can get. Um, but in a broad range of conditions, what's the weather likely to be like? Well, <laughs> that's a dangerous I know, that's game. A silly There's question. one thing they say in sailing, which is um, <laughs> that whenever you turn up to regatta, they say it's not normally like this. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we spend a huge amount of effort and energy trying to research the weather. The team have been training out there for the last uh, three summers, uh, and the thing that makes it quite difficult is the summer period there is very short. As you saw in the news last year, they had three typhoons in the summer last year that narrowly missed Tokyo. You saw that with the the, the Japanese, the World Cup rugby was the last one of those typhoons that went through. So if you get a typhoon, it can have very windy conditions just before and it can then lead to very light conditions in the wake behind. So we, you can get anything. If you had asked me what the the average condition is, is beautiful sailing conditions, medium winds, onshore. It's an ocean course, so there'd be big waves. And I think we'd be in for a real show and, and you know, great photography. And, and uh, um, it's, it, it has the potential to be exceptional. Has it helped you as a governing body and also the sailors that the um, Olympics is in Japan this year in Tokyo, which the conditions are certainly cleaner than what they were in Rio because the whole build-up to Rio was the concern about the water quality and the amount of pollution that there was. And has that helped that it's in Tokyo, taking some of the kind of other distractions away? Um, as always, those distractions are probably exaggerated in the media. Um, but there's no doubt in Rio, uh, the team had to take a lot of precautions, whether it was disinfecting clothing daily, disinfecting the kit, uh, the the motorboats that the coaches drive we did have coaches that went down ill during the games and and there was various illnesses so it, it was a reality uh, but it also gave us a chance to get an edge because if we could do all that better than other nations um, then that gave us an edge uh, Tokyo doesn't have any of those problems it has different challenges uh, obviously the the one that the media are latching onto more than most is the heat and humidity which by the way is also a reality um, but but it's it's hopefully less of an issue for sailing than it is for marathon running or triathlon as an example so um so you know every venue you go to has different challenges um and and rio was uh, you know for sailing was pretty dramatic being in the harbor sugarloaf mountain behind we had some extraordinary conditions outside the harbor it was a shame they weren't televised because we had wind and waves and the uh, and some of the best conditions you could hope for so um i just hope we get good wind and we can really showcase the sport for what it is 
You know, I remember sitting in the sailing venue for a day when there was no wind, uh, waiting for Giles to win his gold medal, and we all came back the next day. I know. The number of times that the BBC cut to us and we had to say, sorry, racing's delayed. So I really hope that won't happen in Japan. And I'm, I'm, confident, I'm confident that um, in the afternoons, generally, you've got a good sailing breeze there. And how proud are you of Hannah Mills for standing up for uh, her big plastic pledge, um, you know, and, and I'm sure British sailing's right behind it as well. But you know, how much of a problem is plastic in the seas and, and plastic pollution for your sport? Well, it de- it depends where you are. Um, I mean, I've I've sailed around the world, as I said, three times. So I've seen plastic in the Southern Ocean. I've seen plastic in the middle of the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Um, I've seen how hard it is to sail up, particularly, say, the South China Sea. Uh, But equally, I've had a plastic bag on my rudder sailing in my home sailing club in England. So nowhere is immune from this. Um, I think that sailing is always, because it was so closely uh, interlinked with the environment, the wind and the waves, I think we have an affinity for these things. I think that the the, Nash, the worldwide governing body, World Sailing, were very quick to come up with a sustainability uh, agenda, and they've encouraged governing bodies to, to to be on board with that. The Royal Yachting Association was very early on as well, adopting sustainable practices, and, and many of those were put into the venues as well for 2012. So I actually think that we've sort of been ahead of the game, um, but as always, you can do more, and... and um, and I'm proud of I'm proud of what we've done, and I'm really proud of what Hannah, the stance that Hannah has made, uh, and and with Ailey's support, because uh, I think it's that's what really makes the wider population um, kind of connect with these issues. Uh, of course, plastics the 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 big one, because thanks to David Attenborough, and 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 I've seen many races lost. Uh, in fact, um, Bryony Shaw. Uh, fell off her windsurf in Rio because she hit a plastic bag on the fin of her windsurf and that was on the first day and really derailed her challenge so it is a real uh, a real thing for us but of course it's much wider than just plastic but let's we'll start with the plastic and uh, hopefully we'll have a clear race course and from what I've seen in um, from what I've seen in Tokyo then the main thing is to avoid the fishing nets and as long as you're not where the fishing nets are you're just fine. Well, we'll wish you all the best of luck for Tokyo. Just on the future of sailing in in the Olympics, um, is there any fear that it might not be there in in the future? Um, I don't think so. I mean, it was a founding sport of the Olympics. The only reason it didn't take place in the first Olympics was because of the weather. Uh, So it's always been there. Um, I think that world sailing has really good relations with the IOC. Uh, But it, it... and, and I would say that it's been a sport that's, that has responded to the demands of the IOC. So in terms of gender equity, uh, we will have an equal number of uh, male and female athletes in Tokyo. And in Paris, we'll have an equal number of you know, half of the events will be male and half the events will be female. Um, and it's responding to some of the changes in terms of media appeal. So we'll see, you know, we've got foiling catamarans now. We've got... Um, in, in Paris, we'll have uh, foiling windsurfs, we'll have kiteboarding, foiling kiteboarding for the first time. So I think the fact that the governing body or the world governing body have, have been prepared to adopt uh, new events that have more appeal to youth, that do uh, respond to the needs of modern society, hopefully that will leave it well placed. So hopefully we're in good shape. And can Great Britain maintain its place at the top 
of the medals table. We mentioned earlier that you know they lead the way throughout the whole of the Olympic history. Yeah, well, we've got a bit of a lead in terms of gold medals. I think I think in number of medals we're just, just behind, behind the US, USA. aren't we? So we're hoping to. I'm not sure. I need to check that number, but hopefully we'll overtake them uh, in Tokyo. Fingers crossed. But um, you know, I think there's there's a there's always a lot about the medal success of Team GB and can we sustain what was, to be honest, an extraordinary performance in Rio? Um, is that repeatable? I don't know. It's it's going it, to... The, the challenge is that a lot of that success has been down to the funding and the structure that sits behind that. Um, and the other countries don't just blindly ignore that. You know, they're all responding in their own way. And what we're finding in sailing is a lot of smaller nations who are just focusing on one or two classes and who are really quite exceptional. You know, countries such as, you know, Croatia, Hungary, uh, as examples, who are perfectly capable of taking out gold medals. So it's, you know, we've got a, we've got a much bigger challenge. They're all catching up. And, of course, the, the, trying to find the little edges that keep us ahead. The marginal gains, as, as Dave Brailsford would say, are, you know, they're slowly disappearing. So it's, that's our job is to try and innovate and find ways of, of, um, of trying to stay ahead of the competition. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you and your passion does shine through. I can, <laughs> I can say that. So thank you very much for talking to anything but footies, great British bosses. Thank you very much. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.